0: Blob Talk Radio
1: I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind I'm locked, I'm locked up, up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow could that zone will come
0: Good evening and welcome to the Stop Child Abuse Now show. This is scan number 3229. That's 3229. Uh, Tonight we're going to have a question and answer. Please do feel free to call in. We have Dr. Jaime Romo with us tonight. He's from San Diego. He's an educator, a consultant, author, and a minister. And he promotes um, prevention and healing from child sexual abuse, particularly abuse by religious authorities or in the context of religious settings. And he also has a workbook, and that's called Healing the Sexually Abused Heart. Now, I won't read any more because I like people to talk about what they do, which we'll do that towards the end. But um, I also have with me my little co-host, and and that's Lori. Lori is here. Yes, she is. And um, so we're going to have a really good show here. We have, I think, a good topic. He and I, the doctor and I, had spoken about the subject matter beforehand. And I got it right from Healthline. Uh, which was right on the front page of my emails. And I went down a ways and clicked on Healthline, and that's where I found the subject. Now, let me read the mission statement. It's sitting here staring at me. It says here, we have a of purpose at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so two different ways. And number one is educating the public especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. Number two is offering hope for healing to numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Well, prevention is something that I talk about a lot, and I could usually do a show on that. Actually, I do a show and combine the three, prevention, intervention, and recovery at another time, because it's something that needs to be spoken about so people have a better concept about what prevention and intervention and recovery, you know, what, what it all actually means. So, I, yes, I do have a very bad sore throat. I have bronchitis, um, and I'm a mess, but I'm here. Yes, I am. Okay, so um, that's the mission statement, and so what I'm going to do, if it's all right, with Dr. Romo, because we hadn't spoken about this earlier, um, is present uh, what Healthline has actually to offer. I get a lot of my information from the Mayo Clinic, Healthline, Psych Central, Psychology Today, and on and on it goes. There's just so many that you can get information about child abuse from and come up with good topics. Um, I had someone approach me the other day, and they asked me about betrayal. Now, that's a biggie, and the reason why it's a biggie is because I think that those of us who are horribly, you know, abused in our home life, um, we did feel betrayed by our parents. Because I remember looking at other children who were with their parents, really struck a little chord on me there, um, not triggered me exactly, but I, as a child, I would actually observe other families. I was one of those who would look around and see, and I would learn things because I was never taught anything at home. That's for sure. So, I saw how other kids were behaving with their parents, and how the the parents, in return, were treating their children. And it's like. The I Love Lucy show, or like uh, Leave It to Beaver, that's better. (laughs) Not the I Love Lucy show. I'm the I Love Lucy show, but no, Leave It to Beaver was, um, you know, everybody everybody seems so perfect. Yeah, I mean, mommy's in the kitchen making dinner, daddy's uh, reading the newspaper, and someone's running around, but they're all playing and everything is wonderful and good. Okay, so there you go. So. In the homes that we came from, many of us, most of us, on NASCA, it was anything but that. And I do believe, after well, I thought about it for a couple of days, I actually did think to myself, you know what? That person's right. I did feel betrayed. I, I absolutely did feel betrayed. What do you think about that, doctor?
2: Sorry, I was on um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's a, there, there's the reality that we, a lot of us did not get what we needed. That's a form of betrayal. Um, a lot of us can have specific incidents of not just kind of not getting what we needed, but, you know, people who were entrusted to take care of us whether they be, you know, family members or authorities within our community or, you know, some people feel like on a larger level that, you know, society or, you know, representatives in government, I mean, that whoever the authority is should have taken care of us. And I think that's, um, so it's really common that, you know, children who are dependent on others and then adults who in some way are dependent, um, whether it's, you know, uh, helpful to be dependent or not. Um, when we don't get what we need, yeah, that, that can feel like a betrayal. And you know, some of it has some serious consequences directly to us and, and other, you know, difference between, like, violence and symbolic violence. I mean, it all impacts us and um so that's a it's there's so many entry points you know to that experience of betrayal um, yes, and I think it's especially marked and powerful when you know there are people that we really identify with.
0: I think that's well put because again, I can think back to when I was observing the other families, and it was only f- one peer looking at another peer. Watching um you know the, the family structure, and knowing where I came from, or many of us, I mean certainly none of us are unique here. we've come from it all, but it it's a different it's a different picture, it's a different story, and um I think I did feel betrayed because of that. I know I felt very sad. And I think many of us feel sad. We go through that sad time, you know, because uh, we know that we're different. We feel that we're different because we don't have that at home, okay? It's not in our life. All I ever knew was violence. I grew up with violence. And so these kids, they didn't grow up with violence, I'm sure. (laughs) You know, that's what you think. You never know what goes on behind closed doors, though. However, I knew how I behaved because a lot of times it comes out in the way that we behave, um, that probably they came from, you know, a good family. And, yes, I felt betrayed. And I'd never had anybody put that to me before. So I I thought about it for a couple days, and then I came across this article. What what about you, um, Lori? Have you ever felt betrayed because of what you went through?
1: Oh, absolutely. And it was as early as, uh, a little bit past when I was standing up as a a toddler, I guess, coming out of babyhood. Uh, I was at the kitchen table. Uh, I remember my mother was serving us cereal for breakfast, for dinner, which uh, was a rarity that she even fed us. I mean, that kind of betrayal, uh, I always did feel like she wasn't taking care of us. And this one day, I looked up from the phone books to see what was in this bowl, and my father decided to take the bowl and turn it on my head, and all the milk and all the, everything fell on me, and I went, you know, crying because I didn't understand anything, and he picked me up, and I remember him pushing his chair out, and everything came over and picked me up, one arm, he was a big man, six foot, and he carried me on his side like a football, mm-hmm. and he was on his way to the shower, and Gilda, the mother, stood in his way. He didn't exchange words. They exchanged looks. And I was reading their looks from below any time that I could put my head up and see it. And she gave him the okay to let him take me into the shower. And that's when I first learned the word betrayed.
0: There you go. Yeah. There you go. And that's terrific. Okay. And I get it. I think a lot of us have um, so many, many, many times, you know, had horrific experiences. and But I never had somehow put the word betrayal on it. And I'm kind of glad that person, you know, gave me that thought. And I'm really glad that it was on Healthline because I think it's a, an important word um, in the sense of, uh, of how we do feel. You know, certainly I felt betrayed and all the people in NASCA, if they look back, I'm sure, who came from dysfunctional homes, certainly felt betrayed because, number one, I felt dirty because of the incest, right? Number two, um, I certainly knew I was different, <laughs> okay? And um, I wasn't taken care of in, in the proper manner as far as any, even any of my personal things that I needed as a child, not enough clothing, not enough food at times. And they were millionaires. Doctor, they were millionaires, okay? Now, if that isn't betrayal, I mean, if people, have, and I'm not even saying this is right, okay? But when people are poor, at least you can say, well, we're very poor if you're at the age of reasoning. And this is why maybe I only have two dresses or whatever. I'm just using this. And, um, okay, we have macaroni and cheese three times a week or whatever. And then maybe a little bit of meat and then a little bit more macaroni, whatever. Mommy does the best that she can. I get it, okay? Um, you know, you can make not excuses, but you can identify and say, okay, I, I get it. I understand. And maybe that's not betrayal. That's just plain being poor, okay? That's We can't do any better, and that's all right. So I think, though, when the abuse comes in, like you're talking about, and like so many of us in on NASCA, have gone through all of these forms of betrayal. It then does become betrayal. Yeah. So what I've got here, um, it says here shortly after the trauma Mm -hmm. and persistence into, or it persists rather, into adulthood. If we don't get the help that we need from what we did, you know, went through as a child. What are the chances that we're going to grow into You know, sane, sensible um, and Adults who know who the heck they are And what they're doing I mean, you know, I'm sure that the uh, Most people have all kinds of problems with that You can, you can be sure of that I know I certainly did um, I thought I wanted to be a wonderful singer And I was a wonderful singer I sang in New York I had a great time I'm, I'm from New York But um, that's not what I stayed at, you know. (laughs) That's why I'm here. But I didn't know which direction to take. Jaime, did you know that you always wanted to be what you are today? No. Well, what I
2: wanted always wanted to be was um, not hungry and um, in a scary environment. (laughs) You know. And then what I first thought. Would be the way to do something useful with to be a doctor to help you know in my local community a lot of people who didn't have very much you know so we grew up real hungry we grew up with um, we were lucky if we you know didn't need medical care um, but no, and i my path went all over the place in part because um, I think what's often common when when people who carry unresolved uh, trauma, abuse, um, is that, you know, that sense of um, confidence in ourselves, belief in um, ourselves, self-worth, like that we really deserve to live up to those dreams, that that gets in the way in different ways. And so my my path is very uh, uneven and and jagged and uh, led me to, you know, Go into education, you know, kind of accidentally, but then just to achieve, you know, so sort of like So I bounced around, there was no, there was no, where I am now Is like a a happy set of uh, Finding a new way through something that was uh, like a huge crash landing yeah. You know, from ending one kind of career trajectory, ending another kind of career trajectory and then, you know, dealing with my own healing, and then finding like, oh my God, I've got now these different resources because I've done some healing work, and so now where I am is really, you know, the I would say it's a it's a, it's a joy, but I would never have imagined the ingredients that you know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: that I it, it came came with it, you know.
0: Well, you found your way, though. Now, you didn't, I mean, most of us, not not all of us, but we self-medicate. Think about it. I mean, I certainly mm-hmm. didn't, and, and most people do, that I've known on on NASCAR. Um, I was out on the street because I ran away. A lot of us do that and because um, I couldn't stay the home life. And I'd had trouble before that, okay, so... You know, I I was, like, blown away, and I I turned into a real juvenile delinquent. Yes, I did. (laughs) Yeah, I did. And then I ended up, and that's that's not uncommon either, okay? Um, Kids who come from uh, dysfunctional backgrounds so often do commit crimes. Now, I never got caught, and I always said that's because I could run so fast, because in school I was like an athlete. I even jumped the hurdles. I guess I did. (laughs) So my friends, though, many times got caught. And with me, I was always stealing clothing. See, that's what I needed, Jaime. Okay, I needed clothing. It's not as if I was stealing very expensive stuff or anything like that. But if your basic needs are not taken care of and you're out on the street, then, you know, you have to survive. You have to survive. That's what you do. So a lot of kids would steal um you know something to eat if they were outside markets and they had the food outside you know they'd grab stuff and uh, whatever they could do wherever they could do that's what they'd do right because they needed to survive and then of course, you have the kids that got into heavy duty drugs with a heroin. I had two kids die right in front of me um from heroin and overdose. I never got involved with heroin. I was scared of it, thank God. But I drank too much, okay? (laughs) So I drank and popped a lot of pills. That's what I did. And it's amazing because they're both downers, aren't they? People don't realize that about alcohol. Because you're having a wonderful time. You're out there dancing in the street, whatever. You're singing and having a good time. And then all of a sudden, you crash. You crash. Because it is basically a downer. So if you have too many downers in your body, then um, that can cause a, a, a major problem because the heart is just a muscle. That's what the heart is, and it can stop your heart. So whether it had been heroin or any hallucinogenics that were out there at that time or, or drinking and popping pills or whatever, it was a matter of, of self-medicating, which is what so many of us did do. What's to self-medicate? So, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it turns into like a, a circle, a cycle, all right, of, of how you're trying to live, and you don't know who you are, okay? So getting back to this article here, now, now we're talking about the effects if we don't get help, all right? We already know that we've all been abused and all this other stuff. So if you don't get the help that you need, um, as a child Then you go into the key signs And there's uh, quite a few It's trouble recognizing Or expressing Or managing emotions We're an emotional mess That's what we are Many times our emotions turn into anger And we don't even know why You know, you agree with that, Correct I know. Sorry, I was on mute again. Sorry.
2: Yeah, no, and what I'm thinking of is um, mm-hmm. just discussing this last night with, with the group. There's mm-hmm. a a way of, of thinking about our experiences, uh, and I, it's kind of a research description. You know, there's the what happened. So we mm-hmm. have these different experiences, whether it's neglect or abuse and so on, and then there's the so what. And that means, like, so what does it mean for us? What's the impact? And you've described some, you know, all kinds of different self-destructive behaviors, some to provide for basic needs, um, others mm-hmm. that are um, more about numbing and um, mm-hmm. and just, again, kind of self-sabotaging. But it's all in the effort, um, you know, to cope with what's happened to us. And so there's and And yes there's the uh, the ACE study and so many others like it that that show the direct you know, correlation between unresolved traumas um, and physical health issues mental health issues behavioral health issues um, mm-hmm. and so in fact there's a, there's a quote I just saw recently by uh Bethel Kolk, you know the body keeps score um He says, traumatized people chronically feel unsafe inside their bodies. past is alive in the form of gnawing interior discomfort. Their bodies are constantly bombarded by visceral warning signs and in an attempt to control these processes, they often become expert at ignoring their gut feelings and a numbing awareness of what is playing out inside. They learn to hide from themselves. And so there's the, the so what is, yeah, uh, not like so what, like it's not a big deal, but meaning, you know, yeah, there's all kinds of impacts on people when we don't um, have the resources, the wherewithal, the, the coping mechanisms, the support to how it impacts us. And then and then there's, of course, the, the now what. So, I mean, I, I appreciate what... You've uh, been describing is, you know, this is what happened and this is the impact of it, and it's mm-hmm. widespread. Um, and and I think that's the the first part of healing and recovery is I mean, it's expression to be able to name the disease. It's be is the first step in being able to cure the disease. And so once we understand, okay, this is what I'm dealing with, then we can respond. Then we can actually, you know, not continue that that. Uh, Repeating and self-inflicting uh, kind of experience. So. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's where the cutting comes. I had friends that were terrible cutters. Okay. And um, they they swore. I I never did quite understand that, but they swore that cutting their wrists or their arms or their legs or wherever they cut um, actually made them feel better. It took away from the pain from what they were going through at home. That's the way they described it to me. And um no, I'm not about cutting, okay, yes, I did cut my my wrists when I was seventeen. I wanted out. I'd had hmm. enough. And um but these kids that went around cutting all the time, you know, any place, on their arms or legs or what whatever, they actually said that it took away from the the pain of home, the pain that they were going through, the pain that they'd been through. And I sort of, like, understand that, but don't understand that because I know what it feels like to cut, and I didn't like it. <laughs> I got caught, though, and uh, so that didn't happen, but didn't I was bleeding like a sieve, but, no, I didn't die, obviously. I'm here. But um, maybe you could explain that because, you see, when you're cutting yourself, some might say that they're looking for attention. I've heard that so many times. Um. Others might say what I just said before. They express it as it's not as bad as the pain or it takes away from the pain that they feel mentally, emotionally, um, psychologically. How does that work?
2: Hmm. Well,
0: I think it's
2: not in only one way. I agree with you that it's not about Mm -mm. attention-seeking, although that not consciously. I mean... Any, any type of behavior that someone else can notice, um, in in a way, can be an appeal for help. You know, for someone to, you know, to for a person to be seen, and understood for what is going on. Um, I've I've heard yeah that some people, uh, from people who have, you know, had that behavior, um, that I think like you said it, there's so much like psychological pain that this physical pain is more manageable. You know, that's one thing that I've heard from people in that experience. And the other is that when we are so uh, overwhelmed, we get triggered, mm-hmm. and there's so much going on that uh, a person dissociates, that cutting, mm-hmm. you know, brings the person back into their body. Um, right. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. good point. And so it's you know it's not a healthy way of self-regulating, but it, it you know, again to to bring us back into our body where you know that's our deepest sense of self. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think there are different reasons um, for that kind of behavior, but yeah, it's uh, always a response to something that's overwhelming. It's not rational. Um, and then all the interpretations or you know because it does maybe provide some relief, just like any you know thing that we may do or take um you know if it works a little bit, then we might repeat it, and then it becomes you know like this you know in our brain we develop kind of these pathways of certain behaviors you know we it reinforces itself um. <laughs> So then it's not, it's just kind of a, a go-to, like any, any kind of coping mechanism or addiction even.
0: Yeah, I, I think it can become an addiction because I had, I had quite a few friends. And some were on the street, some them were out, not on the street. But I had a couple of them that it was a constant thing. When I say constant, I don't mean every single day. But I do mean that maybe four times a week. That's constant enough for me, because I'm watching them cut themselves. Okay, and sometimes they do it not in front of people. Other times they do it uh, in front of people, and um, and I just stood there like I couldn't I couldn't understand it. I mean, it made no sense to me. You know, um, those of us who have been beaten, you know, at home. Um, I was always switched. I I used to get punched in the head (laughs) and um, things like that. Well, I knew what that pain felt like, and I didn't consider that to be uh, any release of anything, you know what I'm saying? So to watch them on purpose, you know, just cut themselves here, there, everywhere, here, there, everywhere, whatever, um, didn't make sense. But now that you put it that way, I have a little better knowledge of um, why they would be able to do that and feel that that was a better way out through that type of pain because it's actually masking a little bit of their psychological pain. Yeah, I got it. Okay.
2: Yeah, I'm imagining you're familiar with um, Gabor Mate. I mean, he's one of mm-hmm. many really, you know, really good, uh, you know, practitioners and. and you know, leading experts about how trauma affects people. And you described, you know, when people, when kids especially, feel trapped. Um, you know, sometimes <laughs> when they have these behaviors like externally, but other times it's, it's similar, you know, I, I got no way out. And so um, I can fight, you know, and maybe that's what the cutting is about in a sense to do something. Or I can just retreat you know, and, and flee, you know, like disconnect. That's what the same associates. Um,
0: right. That's on this list here, by the way. Go ahead. hmm Yeah. Yeah. And what about nightmares? so many different ways. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, what about uh, nightmares? I want to ask Lori because I know a lot of us have nightmares. Lori, do you have nightmares yet?
1: Yeah, but I never stop. I actually have a sleep disorder. That the only way I can get sleep is with the sleeping pill, um, and I only get two hours twice a day. So it's only four hours that I'm sleeping. Most of the time, I'm laying in bed, and they're all from flashbacks of my father coming into my room to rape me. So I've been through therapy. I've been through everything. I mean, I started out not cutting but very angry that way I would want to. But I wasn't I didn't have an escape. I I couldn't really go too far from the house because I was the keeper of the crazies. It was like I was born to take care of them. And I had a grandmother living with us who wasn't being taken care of and she needed so I had no out. So what I used to do, um, after I was I was explosive, well that was a definite but I kind of managed To figure out To disassociate I would turn on my record player And there were two long songs That I listened to And in my mind I was imagining myself In a better place You know I described mm-hmm. the whole thing In my head So I needed to do that Like every single day That was my only out um, It definitely did take an effect Um And then there came a point where it was like, you know, I could be one of these people that could end up in jail very easily, you know, with where I came from and the way they were and all that kind of stuff. But for some reason, um, I didn't go that way. Uh, I turned more worried about other people uh, and kids that were coming just like me, you know, from their own, you know, story of their family to helping them, Um, and I didn't really get to strike out. I still didn't, you know, so I don't think I'm really normal because I really think I was supposed to get to a point where I was supposed to react to what happened to me and concentrate on, you know, just me and stop taking care of people. I I didn't get the break yet. I didn't get the break yet.
0: Hmm. Let's see Let's see what the doctor thinks about that. Jaime. I mean, she hasn't taken time out maybe to feel. Is that what you're saying, too? Um, the feeling yeah. angered? Yeah. Yeah, and I just said so,
1: there was no time. I have, well, Carol, you know, I have a, a 40-year-old handicapped son that, you yeah. know, I live and breathe for around his schedule, so there was no time.
0: hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's amazing. Uh, though, go ahead. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, so there are incidents that um, you know can be themselves traumatic and have significant ongoing impact, and then there's a whole network of of uh, you know experiences over time, and I kind of like the that. People describe this as a trauma net, and I, I think of the spider web, you know. And I think I like that because not just the idea that, you know, now we're not just dealing with you know one issue, but a whole collection over time that is interwoven to the degree that, um, it, it it's like even hard to figure out where to begin, you know. And so, um, the good thing once. Uh, about that image of a spider web is you know if we can get to um, one of those roots like one of those big web uh, points mm-hmm. that under undergirds you know that um, when we loosen that one then a whole bunch of things just kind of fall apart or when we the spider web you know when it's exposed to daylight you know it can it can melt away it can't survive um, and. So what you described, yeah, from nightmares is the way that the the you know brain and, and memory and emotions are trying to uh work their way through the, you know this, it may be painful I like, used to have nightmares, you know when I was real raw in you know dealing with all the you know abuse I, the sexual abuse I experienced was an adolescent you know that suppressed for some thirty years, and all of a sudden it was just you know impossible to suppress and um, so that's um, a, a very unpleasant way that the body and the mind are trying to heal, is right? to a, like a, a festering wound. You know, once it lances, stuff just comes out, and and that's you know better. That's a step up from depression and from suppression, but it's certainly painful. And um, but you know you described you know caring for a, a child over time who has you know, special needs and that's really stressful, you know, caregivers and people who are you know, constantly on alert, you know, not just to protect themselves, but to take care of somebody else, um, that, that adds, uh, and disrupts sleep. I mean, so all that, you know, is really clear, like responding to, um, trauma, responding to ongoing, you know, chronic stress, um. And I'm wondering, you know do you have time uh now you know that you can start to um, look at what, what uh what is not just what happened and you know but to see you know more deeply like who even the strengths is that you've developed by dealing with so much <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness! Yeah, you gotta realize that. You know, if I did all put up with everything like I did, I'd have to be strong because the wee person couldn't do this. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. Definitely. Thank you.
0: She's very I, I, strong. Yeah. And
1: you course. know what
0: else she does, Doc? I have to tell you this, and she's gonna blush again. I don't care. I can't see her through the phone, but she's very, very gifted. Lori is very, very gifted, and she makes baby preemie blankets and hats and mittens and and, all, and pillows and no name, more, mind you, okay, and she doesn't charge, and she sends them over to the hospital for the premature babies. She does that all on her own, and I think that is so, just so beautiful, you know, that she takes the time to do that. And then, if you look around her house on the outside, they bought a house in p a and um she she's been out there now. I don't know if you've gotten help with that, but she is planting like a maniac, um all different kinds of of or cox cones it's either one and and other types of bushes and, and she must be strong as an ox. I can't do that anymore, plus I have a herd on but mm. um it's, it's just beautiful what she's able to do. And she's got stones down there, too. I noticed that. So, I mean, she keeps herself so busy. Now, someone might say, well, maybe she's keeping herself so busy so that she doesn't have time to reflect, you know, to reflect backwards. But I think this is also a part of her energy. And um, whether it be um, 100% positive to be so busy and all this other stuff, whatever the point is she's able to produce a lot of good things so i admire lori because i know i know her story and um i think it's amazing that she's turned out mm. normal okay mm. and uh there's nothing like being thrown out of a window huh kid all right <laughs> did you bounce in your head that time i forget
1: no i went straight down and heard thud Hmm. I went down fast, too. I thought I would have more on, like, lag time, I'll you know, enjoy the ride. But
0: there hmm. I was. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: funny. Oh.
2: Humor, humor is uh, not just a coping mechanism. Humor Sorry. is, like, healing. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a sign. Well, uh, you know, I don't necessarily put a judgment on, on busyness. I mean, that was certainly an effective and productive coping mechanism for me. You know, I got mm-hmm. lots of degrees, and I and I today okay. I am, I you know have my regular work that's meaningful, and and I have you know I'm doing a, a, a conference presentation for educational administrators next week, and and I do some work right now with uh, the National Association of State Mental Health Program Directors, and so I'm I'm busy. It's not a a bad thing, um, and I would. You know, I just also make time. I also, you know, just yeah, just on a daily basis or some special times, you know, step back. Um, but I would say that uh, what I really wanted to say was that about the strength. You know, sometimes people have the idea that um, over time, like the the grief that we you know carry or we, you know, different things that are difficult for us, but they'll, as we get, you know, healthier or stronger, somehow they'll decrease. And, like, I think of it more as, like, if you think of an image of a, a jar and inside there's a ball, right, and the ball is filling up a lot. So that maybe that ball represents things that are difficult or trauma or, or grief, and then the next image is the ball the same size but the jar is a little bit bigger and then the next image the ball is the same size meaning the grief or the trauma or you know difficulties that stays the same but the container actually gets bigger and i think that's the the beauty is we can appreciate it in ourselves um the container gets bigger and you know what i hear of you know, making blankets for preemies a Caring for another person. I mean, compassion. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen in our heads. That happens through, you know. There's an expression. You know, give me the patience to endure the pain to receive the grace. You know, mm-hmm. the compassion um, is a result of going through this difficult time and like, as if we're the container of some sort. You know, developing, uh, and that that is amazing. So. Um, one I just want to acknowledge that Affirm that um, and There's another image of uh, I think it's Rumi the poet Who talks about the, the flute You know like the same um, Instrument that has Endured the pain of having bore, you know, Holes bored into it Is now able to produce this Beautiful sound You know and there's I think that's um, You know if we can appreciate ourselves and, and that sometimes takes some time Well, I know, for me If I went from Abandoned and then abused and wrapped in shame And kind of perpetuated that on myself And the abuse could have been business And overachieving And expecting perfection And comparing myself to others And all kinds of stuff Well, the remedy for me has been to be present And to be good to myself And then to acknowledge that You know, not have some you know Overblown sense of pride and ego, but, but uh, you know, acknowledge and be grateful for me. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I think there's, there's a real need for us to be present to ourselves and to stop and take inventory and realize, you know, what continues to be in our, uh, what's good for us as well as good, what's good for other people.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree with that. See, there's nothing wrong. We have to learn how to do this. Okay. I mean, I I tease, I didn't go to detention, but I ended up working there. (laughs) That's funny. But, you know, I worked in a lot of different places. The um, detox or methadone clinics. Well, see, what did I do, Doc? I went and got jobs that I could relate to, didn't I? And then also to psychiatric, at a psychiatric facility, hospital, state-run. I could relate to crazy people. I had them around me all my life. So... All these jobs I went for, I got certified and all, you know, state acknowledged and and all the things that I have to this day. um, I didn't have to work very hard to get it because I lived it. I walked the walk, okay? And that made it actually easier on me because I had absolutely no self-esteem. And I I just had no self-esteem. And yet I had two children, so I knew that I had to you know, be a good mommy, because her daddy was very bad, got rid of him. Yes, I did. (laughs) I divorced him. But, you know, it's just that um, there's nothing wrong with being proud of yourself, too, you know, because their backgrounds, like you said, in case, you know, don't have a big head, but know from where you came and where you are, okay? So the backgrounds that we had, we could so easily had... uh, Become a bad person, if you will A person who is really, really disturbed And stayed that way And caused trouble for other people We could have done that, yeah I see Phillip's on the line now Let me um, see if he has anything he wants to say Or if he wants to listen Philip, your, your uh, mic is open Well, I'd like to talk, but I don't know what I'd like to talk about I can't hear you. You're too noisy. Um, I'd
1: like to talk, but I don't know what to talk about. Sorry, I'm in the car.
0: In the oh, okay. Well, I'll get back to you, okay, when, when you stop the car, <laughs> okay? Okay. Well, have, so... Oops. <laughs> Did I cut him off? I don't think so. No. Well, I, I couldn't hear him because it, the wind was blowing or something. Maybe as the window's down, I don't know. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: Well, I, so, maybe I had a, a thought about Relating to others in a similar circumstance, I mean, I, I think that um, that can be really helpful, you know, if we're not shocked um, because we have certain experiences. And um, and, and just for another person to, to feel, like, understood, you know, not at an intellectual level, but you know, that's the power, I think, uh, part of the power of um, peer support, you know, what people call it with lived experience and so on. I don't think that's um, an automatic, you know, great thing in that um, my experience was when my trauma came up, I figured, well, listen, you know, I'm I'm a professor. I've got a stable life and good family and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, now I've got this awareness and this raw, you know, pain about childhood sexual abuse and so I'm going to be an advocate for others and I didn't take care of myself, and that led to, you know, in a short amount of time, meaning a, a year, you know, developing PTSD because I, I could be there for other people, and I could lead groups, and I could do all kinds of advocacy things. But, um, you know, I, I think of that we, we heal in part by um, uh, doing our own work and in part by service. Of others, you know. So there's that idea for me of, of the wounded healer, where you know the the Greek myth of Chiron, who was stung by a poison arrow and you know in eternal pain, and and was focused on that until he noticed someone else in pain and paid attention, and then in that helping the other, found that you know he was also learning, you know, growing compassion and healing. Um, so I think it's so both you know, that our wounds can, can be a, a great resource of compassion and maybe some insight. Um, and if we don't take care of ourselves, then, I don't know, the, I think self-sacrifice can s- sacrifice is a you know, good, good thing. Compassion which helps people. Um, but, but back to be present to ourselves. We'll be good to ourselves so that we can continue and have a thriving life, not only a surviving
0: life. That's right. Well, you know, right now, I'm at the time in my life where I went through two marriages, okay? And um, the second marriage wasn't much better than the first marriage because I didn't really know how to pick. we how many times do we speak about that. You know, when you come from abusive homes, Somehow it becomes normal or whatever, even though you know it's not normal. And, and somehow you're not able to choose um, partners or husbands that, um, you know, are, are good for you. And you're more comfortable with the other because this is the life that you lived, okay? It became like the norm. Even though something up in your brain said, uh-uh, it wasn't still strong enough. So in my second marriage, um, I did have a lot of good times with him. I have to admit, I saw over 50 Broadway shows. He was a New Yorker and um, born and raised in Brooklyn. And um, uh, we went looking for ghosts (laughs) in castles. We did that. We went um, castle hunting. That may seem silly, but I like that stuff. So anyway, we did that. And um, we went to... Oh, all different kinds of things that we did You know, into the city I love the city, I was born in New York too And I, I loved, then I loved the city Now you have to walk around with a helmet on or something, I don't know So I haven't gone to the city in a while And um, until this all calms down I don't, if it ever does I don't really want to go into the city But I, I do want to make it clear Having said that um, right here in the country, way up on the hill where I'm at, and I do mean sticks, we've got bears, we have coyotes, we have bobcats. I mean, how much more country can you get, right? Um, now the kids around in this area are starting to act out, and I was warned today, I mean, Lori, I didn't tell you, I was warned today that anything you have outside that's that's nice, like I have a beautiful eagle out there, And I paid several hundred dollars for it. It's not any cheapy thing. I was told maybe I should bring it in because in the middle of the night, the kids go around, and not just kids. They're going around and stealing things that they think they can sell at yard sales um, and and the other things you can go to, you know, to sell things. So now people are starting to bring in, you know, things that could be clipped. So... It's, it's The frame of mind that people are in right now Is just so awful It just isn't even fair for God's sake It's not um, Like when we grew up Okay We had a terrible time And there was certainly so much dysfunction in our family But somehow life still was different You could go for a walk down the street And not feel like you might be attacked Okay So we have all of these things that are added on to um, the regular things that we deal with when maybe we still have to heal a little bit. I still sleep with a knife right next to my bed. I mean, it's on my frame. Because most of my abuse happened in the bedroom. From a dirty uncle I was sleeping and with. He made me. You know, um, between six and seven and a half years old. Isn't that nice? So it went from one thing to another, to another, to another in my life with his sexual abuse. And then a stupid brother who... Thought he could use me, too. And that was okay. So what I had to do was arm myself. I mean, I have <laughs> Um, I'd probably hit myself over the head with them. That's why I'm laughing. But I have them. I have noonchucks, I have a couple of knives. And I have other things if I need them. Let's just put it that way. And I don't know if I'll ever get to the point in my life where I will feel um, like I'm safe. Because it's just been so many times that I wasn't. We have another caller here. Hold on a second. Eight five zero. Erica, who am I speaking to?
1: Pastor Deborah.
0: Well, hello there. How are you?
1: I just called in to support you guys and say hello. And you're sounding so much better, Miss Carol. Yes, I am. And I
0: was I'm listening, feeling better, and I'm listening. Yes. Okay. Um I think that medicine is starting to work and I got um uh, cough medicine today and that really helped a lot. So I'm I'm better. Um so anyway, all right. So what we're talking about here um is, is actually betrayal. Uh it's something I found on Healthline and it it gave uh, many instances of how we feel betrayed in our own family unit where the family is so dysfunctional. And um, so we were doing a good job on that, and we were down to speaking about um, panic attacks and and also, too, thoughts of suicide. Well, many of us go through that. We go through suicidal ideations. I know I certainly did, and there's many people in NASCAR who have gone through suicidal ideations, difficulty trusting people. Why on earth would I trust anybody? Why would any of this? You have to reach a point in your life where you put that one foot in front of the other or you put your brain in a different place and say, I'm going to try and trust this person. What do you think about um, trusting Dr. Jaime? What do you think about that?
2: Well, it's you it's, uh, brought up safety. I mean, that's foundational for well-being. And, and trust is... Um, You know, it's essential. We have to trust. And and I think there are studies that say that we are wired to trust, which makes it um, maybe helpful to understand how some people can be bamboozled, how they can be swindled, you know, how they can believe false information and, you know, all kinds of things. Because, you know, essentially we, we are wired because we depend on others and, you know, we're wired to trust. And and so when that is broken it's it's really difficult to relearn, to reestablish what you know, who is trustworthy and so on, but um that so that yeah, foundational, super important and um and I think always a work in progress because when our basic um sense of betrayal or um you know our, when our boundaries are really harmed, especially through sexual abuse. I mean, when our bodies are, are violated, we can often lose a sense of connection to ourselves. Um, then that, that practice of figuring out being safe or who to trust can be kind of start off with extremes. You know, like we have really open boundaries and you know, don't differentiate and don't, you know, uh, make wise kind of decisions or we have super... Rigid boundaries, you know, where, like we trust everybody too soon, you know, too much too soon or, or trust nobody. And so it's, it seems a natural process of figuring out that, um, yeah, that's, that's really, that's foundational. You know, and how do we learn how to be safe in our, safe in our own body, safe as for ourselves? How do we learn to trust, you know, our own gut? Um, and build from there, um, I don't think it's you know a life sentence of not being able to be safe or you know, trust um, and and I appreciate yeah it's, it's it's a natural consequence and and I would say you mentioned suicidality I had a conversation with my son, who's like thirty three um, recently he he had some of his equipment stored and, and somebody's property and, um, over the years, and he went to, to collect it, and, and now the, the daughter is the person, maybe around his age, maybe younger, I think, actually, um, in her 20s, who was now having to manage this property and had all kinds of stressors from you know, taxes and people who were there, and, all. and he saw her one day on a Friday, picked up some stuff, went back the next Monday, and she had taken her life and um who's saying that's not where i am but i get it you know the people younger people are dealing with a different world than we grew up in and not to do the pain olympics in fact but just have some compassion that as much as we may have had our own experiences of you know betrayal and horrible abuse and in addition i think this generation is dealing with um, global stressors you know existential threats to planet um it was real you know, much more difficult, you know, uh, to know who to trust given social networks and um job perspectives. I mean, all these things are really, really stressful. Um, there's an article that's on the Washington Post uh, it's something like, you know, men are lost and I just listened to a podcast by Michael Mead who was talking about that. And the reality is that men are, you know, taking their lives in greater proportions than before. I know women have, you know, a higher percentage of attempts. But, um, you know, all this to say, there's, like, incredible more stress. Um, and and in all of that, you know, it's incumbent on us to, again, be present so we know that we're safe in ourselves. And so we know... Um, again, we can rebuild that gut instinct of, you know, this is good for me, this is not good for me, and not have, like, these you know, extreme reactions of trust and not trust.
0: I think you have to find a balance. See, mm-hmm. everything in life is about a balance, you know. And um, I, for one, and I, many of my friends, too, were too quick to trust right, at this point. Not when we were younger, we didn't trust anyone, and then you turn around you flip flop and then you want to trust people and you put your trust in people and then only to get hurt and when that happens, then it takes you backwards and uh to the you no know, non trust area and then you have to say to yourself, "No wait a minute, just because that person wasn't someone that I could trust for whatever reason it it doesn't mean it's the next person." won't be trust and you know, I, I can't trust that person. He might or she might be a good person to trust. So it's something I think we have to learn and, and, and um we also too have to um you know put ourselves out there and you're gonna make mistakes and, and um and, but not to let it have that crashing effect that it had years ago on us. Okay, um as that old song goes Another one bites the dust Okay <laughs> You know Okay so you, you, You're not going to form A relationship with this individual So um, You try try again You know But that doesn't mean That there isn't someone Right out there If that's what you're looking for And it's a trust issue We have to get stronger Within ourselves We have to learn to trust Ourselves too So it's a matter of Trusting ourselves And trying to trust Other people you know, it's just the way yeah. it is. Mm-hmm.
2: And I wonder if we can spend a few minutes on what you just said, you know, as a matter of learning to trust ourselves, like what has been helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are some, under that umbrella of, of mindfulness, you know, like um, some people, you know, start with the basics of breathing, you know, just to slow down because that helps us to regulate if we're dysregulated. Uh, mm-hmm. And it helps us sometimes in that then to you know, get a little bit more control of our mind, um, but it physically also is sort of helpful. And others, you know, yeah. You know, so just to, to get in touch with our body, and, and, to, and with that, like to do a body scan. I mean, there are things on YouTube where you know there's guided kind of reflections. Um, so I guess you just pay attention to your senses and and. And learn to reconnect with yourself. Um, sometimes, movement, simple movement, um, is a way. Again, to all these things are like real, real basic, but they're they're also uh, in some ways therapeutic. I mean, um, journaling, of course, you know, just reflecting. All these things to, to again be present to ourselves um, and acknowledge an experience um, certainly things that are patterned or repetitive and, and rhythmic um, slow us down the, the helps sometimes to regulate if we're again not we're not even mindful of, of you know being able to process information I, I work with Patients at the end of life, and I just left a visit, you know, before this show, and um, it was clear that the, with the overwhelm, you know, the the family couldn't process things, they, and they needed to slow down. They needed to actually just to do some basic pattern, repetitive, rhythmic activity to be able to um, to trust the people. They were very skeptical uh, about any of the information they're getting. People they were meeting. Um, so, what has been helpful for you to to begin to rebuild?
0: Hmm. What
1: happened here? Yeah, he yeah, no, yeah, Carol, it's for you. He's asking for you. Oh,
0: I'm and sorry. I, 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 was, I was just getting ready to sneeze, and I didn't hear what he said. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go uh, ahead.
2: That's okay.
0: No, I'm sorry. Um,
2: just, just in, you know, granted we can um, mistrust. You mentioned, you know, going from not trusting anybody to, like, trusting too much. And I certainly mm-hmm. have that experience that, you know, believe people who, and end up, you know, paying money for the services I never got or, you know, building hopes that just very unrealistic. I can learn maybe through those experiences, like, okay. So how do I trust my gut?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: How do I, you know, get back in touch with myself so that then that is a, a barometer, you know, of then who is, who is trustworthy? Because I know that I am trustworthy. So there's several things well, that have been helpful for me. I'm asking what has been helpful for you.
0: Well, I I know that I'm a trustworthy person at this point in my life because. I like myself. I know who I am. Okay, I've come in touch with who I am and who I was meant to be. Okay, I, I know I know me. Okay, and I've gotten to the point where I like me. Um, and I I think that, uh, but still in all I still have a, a a problem yes with the the outreach of trusting, because it was so stripped from me and from everyone. Many of us, all of us probably at NASCAR. Those that you expect to treat you right, to teach you right, to guide you right, to love you for God's sake, to pat you on the head when you do something right, okay, to praise you, um, to teach you right from wrong, the boundaries, okay, the boundaries, and why we have boundaries, okay. Um, That's very important. Like people will say in the family, um, no, I I don't want you to do that. And the kid will say, why? Why? Because I said so. You see, that's not good enough. Children have brains, and they can't think. So then they tend to make that same mistake over again. And the trust issue between parent, the bonding issue between parent and child, is then destroyed a little bit more because the parent gets spastic or something and takes it, takes it out on the child. So there's so many things that break down the trust of a child. And then, if you get into, if you make it into adulthood, okay, then and you don't get help, then it carries over into adulthood, and and that's a, a that's a bad thing. And yes, it does say here, of course, substance abuse and eating disorders. These are all things, attachment issues, uh, and difficulty trusting, which we just you know spoke about. But children who experience betrayal may also dissociate. We spoke of this, and that's what I said to you at the bottom of this article. It mentions that. And to detach from reality. Um, I thought to myself, did I ever do that? And I'm thinking, hmm. Well, I do remember that when I was in the second house that I lived in, there was a lot of dolls. (laughs) These people were much nicer people, okay? And uh, their children had what they needed, all these things. So... But I remember talking to the dolls. Now, you might say, well, a lot of kids talk to dolls, and they have tea time, and they have all this other stuff with the dolls and all that. But the dolls were like real people to me because the real people were a disappointment, so therefore I turned to the teddy bears and to the dolls because they weren't going to hit me, harm me, uh, not talk to me, or whatever the heck they did and didn't do. And I remember one of the little girls um, caught me doing that, and I was too old for that. Okay. So I think it was probably around eight and a half or something. So around, eight, around eight. And um, so she went running and told her mother. And um, I heard her say, maybe she needs to do that. Maybe she needs to do that. So you see, we have to all find our way. But I felt very embarrassed because a part of me said, Carol, you're too old for that. You know, they're just dolls and a teddy bear. Come on, they're stuffed and and all this other stuff. But if we don't have the enrichment that we need in our lives to help us walk tall, to feel tall, to uh, feel good about ourselves, um, and certainly the trust has been stripped away, then it's very hard to recover um, from a situation like that. And I think that's why people do dissociate because they can't stand what they're going through. And uh because the trust has been taken away and all the things that go with it right in the family unit. Many times it's in the family unit. So it's a sad thing. But if um if people, you know, need to dissociate, if they need to have an alter, whatever. I guess I needed those dolls, I don't know. But I got embarrassed, and I never did that again, <laughs> okay and um I don't know maybe that was a good thing, in other words, I didn't trust people enough to relate to them, to talk to them in a way that was uh normal, like a con- you know a-, a conversation like we're having here on the show, okay? It wasn't that type of thing. There wasn't enough trust yet for me to open up to these people to see if they'll even accept me and and all this other stuff. So, so, you know, dissociating many times, as it mentions here, children will dissociate, uh, is something that's very common. And that, too, can go over into adulthood. Do I think people should dissociate? I'm not one to answer that. I think if they need to, they're going to. We had a guest on once, um, years ago Who had gotten rid of all of her altars Except for one And, um, she depended on that altar And if that's what that person needs Who am I to say anything, you know Um, I can't even say whether it's right or wrong Maybe you want to talk about that
2: Well, I mean, I don't know if there's anything you know wrong with being attached to something that's different from being addicted to something or you know where we we can't function without it or having a like for something you know those, those are all good things um what um and this you know dissociation is a short term uh response to something that's overwhelming um, when i was hearing you talking about uh trust, I had another thought and I take it from the book, it's actually about organizations but I think it it makes sense as well for uh, individual growth and for relationships Um, and that the, the foundation is trust and that has to be there in order for people then to be able to have, call it normal conversations or even conflicts and I don't think conflicts are necessarily bad I don't personally like conflicts you know, and, um, I've been you know lean into them for the most part <laughs> um, I don't certainly don't like seek them consciously but I, I know that they can be areas uh, that are important to, to work through so people get what they need and, and, um, and so when you said you know I know myself I like myself I think that's the starting point of okay so I can trust myself so that means you know, at times I'm gonna give bring my voice, I, and and this is how like I actually will grow and move beyond some of the limitations of um, isolation, you know, or just you know fighting. But deal with conflict and then get on the other side of it, which clarifies something, which maybe strengthens us, and you know, they're, oh, okay, I can trust, or now I've learned. Um, but I just wanted to bring up this, when may seem like an odd piece about healing, but being able to go from trusting ourselves to engaging in conflict, bringing our voice. Um, and that can be terrifying I and mean, difficult. Um, and we have to learn to do that, just like we have to learn uh, to trust. We have to learn to engage in conflict so that that leads then to deeper commitment.
0: Mhm, well, that's the other thing too is commitment, okay, because so many times when um we go through so many things, we're afraid of you know commitments or maybe we've made commitments, and the trust had been broken in that relationship, and you know that sort of like leads into what this says here um infidelity trauma. Because what happens is if we don't get the help that we need as a child, then it goes a step further into adulthood, okay? And that can do all kinds of things. And it, it betrayed in romantic relationships usually takes the form of infidelity to other types of betrayal. Um, you can have financial betrayal. The person might be a bully. won't let you get to the money. <laughs> I know what that's like uh can also uh, provide trauma response, like loss of self-esteem. Um, there you go again, because you see, maybe you got yourself pretty much together. But then you got into a relationship, and uh, it turned out to be a bad relationship, and the person's always putting you down. So then you lose what self-esteem you may have finally gotten to, to that point. And then you have numbness. This can happen in adults, too. Um, I remember watching horrible scenes, and I wasn't just a little kid. In fact, even in marriages, when the other person would act out and they'd act crazy, um, maybe even to the point where they might be harmful, I'd just stand there and look at them, and I'd feel numb and feel nothing. So, so that's where numbness comes in there. Or, the other side of the coin, you have anger, guilt, difficulty, um, Controlling emotions. Sure. Um, a lot of us because of the anger and the guilt then we do have trouble with our emotional response, um, to situations. That that makes sense. And then, um, intrusive thoughts about the affair details. If you know your spouse or your other partner has had, um you know, an affair. Loss of faith in others. You can do that. Uh, suspicion and hypervigilance. I certainly am a very hypervigilant person. You guys haven't seen me in action, okay? I can be standing at the um, at the kitchen sink, and I have a bad arm, so everything's with my right arm. But a couple fall or something, whatever. I, I, I catch it so quickly in air, people will stand and go, wow, because the response action was so quick. I'm like, like this all the time, ready for action, okay, Um, the hypervigilance. And then, of course, too, when I go into a restaurant, I don't look for the bathroom, like most women would do. I look for the exit (laughs) sign, okay, because if something is going to um, happen, I know which way to go. Now, that's just automatic things of hypervigilance, you know, that we go through. I don't really care. It doesn't, you know, affect my life any. If I have a couple things left over from the past, I don't care. I know where the exit door is, and I can catch a cup in midair. <laughs> okay, whatever. Okay, so then you have depression and anxiety, and that's what leads And it. I have read recently, yes, that men are really committing suicide um, at a quick rate. Um, it's frightening. It might be because they don't feel like they can change what's going on in in the world around us, okay? There's so much, so many things happening, and they're worried about finances, they're worried about their families, they're worried about themselves, they're worried about all all different kinds of things. So uh, it used to be mostly more a girl thing at one time many years ago, but now the guys have caught up and actually gone further than, than the women. Women can talk to each other better. Um you know, if I need to talk to someone, I can call uh, Pastor Desbrow, and I can I can call Laurie. <laughs> I mean, she's like a sister to me. I can do this, and we can go blah 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 because women do that. And you know what? I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Where men are more apt to be quiet, and and keep holding inside whatever it is, you know that uh, that they're they're afraid of. They're afraid to say, hey. I'm really worried about tomorrow, right, tomorrow. And uh, so other mental type of issues uh, can arise from all different things that we've spoken about here and the physical symptoms, including insomnia. Well, I'm up all night. I am. But then I always have been. And that can go all the way back to the past. When I would watch to see if the doorknob would turn Because if that doorknob turned on my bedroom I knew I was in trouble, okay And I'd watch the uh sun come up after it was over Let's put it that way And I, I never did sleep much And neither did my mother She'd have me go downstairs and make her a midnight snack Even if I had school the next day And that's bacon, alright Frying bacon And um you know, I'm putting together a lettuce salad with all kinds of things in it, and then bacon, oh, my God, whatever. So um, so insomnia, pain, and stomach distress. How many of us have stomach distress? I know I certainly do. And, you know, so that's about what this article is, has to say, and I think it was all very good points. Um, a lot of thought process went into their writing it, and they have a lot of information on it. And that's the Health Line. That's what it's called. Yeah, Health Line. And, and it's about betrayal. So I think we covered that pretty well. As to uh, betrayal and why we go through that, why we feel it, and what we can do about it, and to put the trust issue, it's it, we've got it. We have to start learning to try and trust other people. I know I do. Like, I can't speak for other yeah. people, but I can speak for myself, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, all, all these
2: things that you've described in that article, I mean, I think they're descriptors. They're, I mean, there's no question that there are consequences to betrayal. I mean, that's one kind of trauma. There are consequences to all kinds of trauma. Um, there's, a, you know, I think a huge component for for healing uh, which to me relates to wholeness, uh, is a sense of belonging. Um, Mm -hmm. I've just experienced more and more recently that that correlation, you know, that people heal, Mm -hmm. uh, and belonging has to do with belonging to something that is safe. you know. We belong Mm -hmm. to ourselves, Mm -hmm. or a relationship, or some kind of community of sorts. Um, And... It's, you know, that that's where we can trust again, you know, and there's, uh, <laughs> so all these things that are very true to me are part of the, not not just the what happened, the trauma, betrayal, different kinds of trauma, or the so what, that's like, yeah, these are the real impacts, yeah, the now what, you know, how... You know, people do take their lives often, you know, because you're isolated. Um, and that makes sense as a coping mechanism, you know, to not mm-hmm. risk, to not be vulnerable. Um, and certainly with men, that's a, a huge um, stigma is to be vulnerable. Uh,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, so the, the antidote really is in figuring out little by little, you know, that uh, we belong. Or so And to something bigger And, well,
0: and it's, that it's, not, of course it it's not It's not um, You know it's, it's not a surprise That men have it harder In a sense Now that may sound weird coming from me Okay But because they're not as verbal As we women are Okay I'm not saying that all women have Are, are blabber mouths Don't get me wrong but we're, we're more apt to, uh, you know, turn to each other and, and turn to um, other women or, or go to women's groups or, you know, than a man is. So then the man has to walk yeah. around with all of that stuff that he's gone through. I mean, I, I look at your bio, and, and you had, um, you've been abused, I believe here, by clergy also, is that correct? Had you been? Yeah. That. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you weren't out running around talking about it, where – if I was abused, I'm Catholic, if I was abused by, you know, a priest or something, first of all, I'd kick him, I know that, and then, <laughs> and then I would go out and my mouth would go because that's the way I am, okay, that's the way I am. And um, because I'm a fighter, I had to be a fighter all my life. So you also have a workbook here where it says Healing the Sexually Abused Heart, uh, it's a workbook for survivors, thrivers, and supporters. And it is an integration of various disciplines that led Jamie, it says Jamie, Jaime, yes, to become a certified traumatic incident reduction TIR facilitator. Um, we're getting closer to the end of the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your um, what you do? Well,
2: thanks. so thanks. Um, first of all, is it... Uh you know the workbook is it's like 10 years old and and it was written with the focus of you know people who've experienced clergy sexual abuse right in the book you know it's called religious authority sexual abuse because it could be any number of people ordained or not priests or not who bring the weight you know of this kind of religious teachings um Mm -hmm. but really it's you know so it's it's useful, I think, for a lot more people. Just in that describes, you know, we we can experience, you know, being a victim of something, and that uh, that happens. Um, and then here's some ways that impacts people, and, and here's what might be a next step. You know, and then there's the survivor mode, and then as I described, the survivor and just being kind of back to okay, now I'm responsible for myself. Um, how do I? What does that you know mean? And thinking and behavior, and then how do I grow? You know, but so and I'm happy to send that out. I mean, it's, I don't think it's available probably on you know Amazon and those things, but I'd be happy to send to anybody who's interested, um, just to send it. And but I, I oh, found really that um, the traumatic incident reduction was something that was beneficial for me, and I, I became um, a facilitator and now a trainer. And it is something that's been recognized by the National Registry of Evidence-Based Practices and Programs. So there's some research to it, ongoing research. Um, It's not therapy. Um, And so it opens up the possibility that um, people can learn in a short amount of time, um, not just a technique, but to begin to deal with their own traumas, their own experiences. so that they can be uh, a good facilitator for someone else, and and not take on someone else's you know, um, energy and you know all the the wounds. You know, so um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm a trainer in that, and it's something that I've, I'm curious whether it will be picked up by some of the groups that um, I've been kind of a, a subject matter expert for, and it, you know, I mentioned working a bit with the uh, National Association of State Mental Health Program Directors. Um, Mm -hmm. It would be beautiful Mm -hmm. if if that became on a state level or, you know, in places like Guam and American Samoa or other places, where it became Mm -hmm. a coordinated uh, resource. Because we we will heal, you know, not just through, you know, the the smartest people in the room, specialists, but with one another who have compassion, one another who have learned enough of, Self-regulation to be a safe person for someone else.
0: Um, right. Yeah. that's that's an interesting word, the, the regulation. That's a, another topic for another night about regulation. Um, but you know, um, I, I want to give out your website if that's all right. Is that okay? It says visit his website.
2: Yeah, please, and uh, uh, okay, I'm okay. gonna update it soon. Um, but it has some, you know, some good information. And happy to reach out to if anybody wants to contact me through there.
0: Okay, to the website. Okay, so I have W dot Jaime that's J A I M E R O M O. Okay, Jaime Romo. That's all one word. That's his name dot org. And if you want to learn a little more about him, maybe you'd like to uh, to look at it. And um, you've been a wonderful person to have on tonight as a guest also and um, I'm glad you came on you know I really am so I'm sorry I almost sneezed in your ear <laughs> I can't, mm-hmm. that was close I lost the website, I, everything went black and I hit it, <laughs> oh my god but um, but anyway yeah I'm getting better and and uh, I, Pastor Deborah can tell that my voice is so much better than what it was, I'm getting better so she's going to be on tomorrow night and we're gonna have our own show. And um and Lori's gonna be there and um so that we'll we'll have a good show. We certainly will. Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy well, that so, you came on.
2: Well thanks. Uh, let me ask a question for whoever's on. You know, given the mm-hmm. conversation, what what's one thing that each person is gonna do as a result of just listening or participating? Uh, To to promote You know Whatever the next step is for you Mm -hmm. The step in healing I should say The
0: step in healing
1: -hmm. That's a good one too Um, I would think I would actually Check out to see How many things I'm actually doing Uh, I'm hyperactive In between all this This Is the way I keep going And I'm used to pain So that's the other thing But I'm going to really overlook To see maybe I should take something out and do something more mm-hmm. for me, directly for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, believe me, she does a lot of things, but she reminds me of my daughter because my daughter overworks. Okay, i mean, she truly overworks, and um, I see her face getting really haggard at times, very tired, because of the to keep up with all the things that she does. Um, Is is a difficult thing to do And So she needs to learn to have time For herself too I get it And so I'm glad you brought that up And everyone out there Be kind to yourself Because I got that 90 second bleep in my ear And um So anyway We'll be back tomorrow again Okay I'll be hosting tomorrow And Pastor Deborah will be on And Lori will be here also She's my co-host And um We'll have another good show. And and Jaime we'll talk soon, okay?
2: Very good, thank you.
0: Okay, thank you so much. I think it was a very good show. Thank you so much. Good night now. And God bless. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I know tomorrow, cause Radio Show.